Ever wondered how a cancer diagnosis can rewrite our journey? Or how facing cancer at a young age can reshape our perspective on life, love, and the future? Hi, and welcome to Kidney Cancer Unfiltered, the podcast by the Kidney Cancer Association, diving deep into the raw stories of kidney cancer patients and survivors. I'm Anna-Maria Scotcha, your guide through the real, unfiltered experiences that often go untold. Our guest, Jason Hinojosa, discovered the answer to life's unexpected twist when he was diagnosed with kidney cancer, twice. Join us as he shares his experience balancing work and ambition, finding support in others, and becoming a parent while fighting cancer. In the next hour, we'll explore Jason's story of love, courage, and community, and what it means to hold on to hope to celebrate life's milestones. Well, Jason, it's lovely to chat with you. Thank you for joining me on the podcast. I would love it if you could introduce yourself to our audience in case they don't know you already. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, my name is Jason Hinojosa. I'm originally from Houston, Texas, uh, and I've been living in Seattle uh, for just a little over 11 years now. I, I moved out here to go to graduate school uh, after, right after, actually right after my first bout of cancer, uh, right when I was like 28 or so. And as soon as I moved out here, just really fell in love with everything Seattle had to offer. And uh, yeah, and just moved here. Uh, during my day job, I... Uh, I'm a marketer for technology companies, as well as I do a lot of marketing advising for uh, a, a young uh, young people trying to move into the technology career who come from like underserved backgrounds, as well as uh, advising like startups, early stage startups that are looking to uh, to grow and you know help you with marketing advice and, and go to market strategies. So you mentioned your first bout of cancer at 28, and that's the whole point of this episode is talking about cancer at a young age. So I'd love to just dig into your experience, um, just kind of dealing with it, you know, when, you know, you're not even 30, right? Like you haven't, you hadn't even hit 30 yet. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, it was, you know, I'll go, I'll go ahead and sort of like give the, the overview story of kind of how it all happened. But, you know, at the time, I was, you know, young and reckless. <laughs> uh, I, uh, you know, I felt invincible, uh, and you know, just did things that most twenty-eight-year-olds are doing. I, I was, uh, I was working at my first technology job at the time, but you know, very much would go out, and, you know, very social, hanging out with friends, partying, um, just kind of doing everything you know a, a typical twenty-eight-year-old would do in Houston, and. Uh, and then one morning, I was, uh, it was a Sunday morning, I remember, it was Super Bowl Sunday morning, actually, at 2011, I remember this, uh, met up with some friends at a coffee shop, and during the day, I was feeling some pain in my back, uh, but I thought it was, I wasn't sure, I thought maybe I pulled a muscle at the time, I was doing lots of working out, and, uh, you know, running, going to the gym, you know, all of that, and was kind of feeling this pain, but, you know, just sort of thought, you know, it was from activity and, uh, you know, went to this coffee shop with my friends, you know, having some coffee. And then I was leaving to go to a Super Bowl party that evening. And as soon as I got into my car, I just felt the pain went from, you know, sort of something that was bugging me to like something that was like very noticeable and like taking away my attention. It was just like, ow, this like really hurts. And within I would say 20 minutes of you know kind of sitting there kind of adjusting and, and you know trying to drive home I just had to pull over and I remembered it was a uh it was a post office parking lot so the whole place was empty and I just like had to pull over because I was like in excruciating pain 
and uh, called my parents, was like, hey, I don't know what's happening, but I'm in, I'm, this is where I'm at. I'm in a ton of pain. I can't drive anymore. My mom and my brother show up. And at that point, I'm on the ground in a parking lot, just mm. like, just like in, you know, just in, in pain, just like, you know, not even paying attention to what was around me, <laughs> just like, in, you know, on there, you know, in pain. My mom freaks out and immediately rushes me to the hospital uh, in Houston. And uh, it ends up being, it was a kidney stone. And I had, mm. you know, got this kidney stone. Uh, not sure why, but, you know, got the kidney stone. And as they were doing uh, tests on me, uh, you know, to, to determine where the kidney stone was, how big it was, uh, the doctor uh, noticed that there was a shadow on my, so I had the kidney stone on my left kidney. There was a shadow on my right kidney. And he was like, you need to immediately check this out. This looks very, you know, this looks very dangerous. So I called in for work the next day, you know, missed the Super Bowl. I was in the hospital the whole night, called in to work the next day. I uh, went to go see a urologist and he was like, that is a massive, uh, that's a mass. We don't know if it's cancerous or not. They didn't have any idea, but it's a mass. And it's like, it's completely contained on your kidney. And, you know, we, we need to do tests on that. And, and also on your other kidney, there's a kidney stone. <laughs> so it was just sort of like this, like, and, you know, to that, up to that point in my life, I'd been relatively, really healthy, never had any bouts of any kind of sickness, any kind of allergies, but spent very little time in the doctor just besides like annual checkups and stuff. So it like really hit me, you know, it's just like, whoa, all of a sudden, you know, you think, you know, one day you're out partying, having fun, you know, careless, not, not needing to do anything to all of a sudden, like, whoa, I have these like huge issues Uh at that time, the urologist decided that based on the size of the kidney stone or the mass, uh, he did do some tests, found out it was a tumor, decided by the size of the mass that we need to go in and remove that before it spread. Mm -hmm. uh, he he kind of determined it was cancer, uh, it was a tumor, and we need to get that out. Um, so within a month of that happening, I, you know, I spent the next month, uh, basically getting ready to go on long-term disability. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and, uh, and he was like, okay, we're going to open in, we're going to open you up. We're going to take out the kidney. You're going to go through this long period of recovery. And so I spent that next month, like really just prepping for this. And it was just sort of this, this, this sort of crazy, like, you know, juxtaposition, like I mentioned, where you are, uh, yeah, where I went from, you know, being healthy to like, I don't know what the, I don't know what the next part of my life's going to be like. And, uh, and then within a month, you know, almost a month to the day of that finding out that happened, I was walking into the hospital, going in for an open surgery and removing the kidney, which at the time they did find out it was cancerous after they yeah. took it out and did the biopsy on it. Um, uh, and it was cancerous, uh, and then, um, yeah, that's, <laughs> that was, that's sort of how, kind of how I found out. And then, you know, it was, a, it was an open surgery. So I have this, you know, pretty massive scar across my abdominal section across my stomach. Uh, and, you know, because it was an open surgery, I really spent the next like three months post-surgery just mm -hmm. trying to get back to normal. Like I was walking super slow and a lot of times I was having to take wheelchairs. Like if I went to like an airport or, uh, if I went anywhere where it required walking, I would need to go on a wheelchair because I would just get exhausted. And uh, really from like that point, the next three months were just trying to get to normal. And then like the six months post that were trying to get back in shape. At that point, I was completely out of shape. Yeah. 
I was extremely tired and then just like having to rebuild all of my muscles and like get back to being able to be active. No, there are a few things I want to touch on there. So I think the first one is like having been 28, having, you know, kidney cancer and learning that you had kidney cancer, what was going through your mind, right? Like whether, you know, within that first month, within the three months after, like what were some of the things that you were experiencing emotionally, mentally? You know, I think emotionally I was, uh, you know, in, in full transparency, I think a piece of it is I, I, I try to suppress a lot of my, you know, a lot of the scare, the, the, the scariness I had around it. You know, I wasn't, uh, you know, I think I, even up to that point, you know, like anytime I heard the word cancer, I associated with death yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, there was, there was a lot of that. And so being so young and, and, um, uh, yeah, being so young, I, you know, try to really suppress those thoughts and really thought like, okay, uh, and and really, you know, honestly, just try to really start looking forward. I almost like try to ignore the fact that I had cancer and ignore the fact that, you know, this stuff was happening. It was just like, okay, this is happy. I'm going to get rid of it. But what's one year going to look like? What's, you know, two years going to look like? What am I going to do when this is all recovered? How am I going to get back in shape? You know, what am I books am I going to read? And I was just like really trying to focus and really trying to, to be positive about everything that was happening, even though like in the back of my mind, like it was like cancer equals death. Yeah. And, uh, and really that thing, that's kind of like I mentioned when I moved to Seattle, that was sort of one of like the, you know, during that period is when I decided I want to go back to business school. I want to go back to college. I want to come out of this stronger than I ever was. And I was like, okay, I'm just going to, you know, I'm, I'm going to go, I'm going to go back to school and I'm going to, you know, get an MBA. And so, you know, started studying for my GMAT during this period, uh, took my GMAT during this period, uh, applied to business school and was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to come out of this better than ever. Um, versus I think didn't really like face what was happening head on or, you know, yeah. really kind of really, you know, really think about or, or really like unpack my feelings at that point. I, I, I wasn't ready to do that yet. And I was just, really looking forward a hundred percent, even looking out five years, like I'm going to survive this. I'm going to be alive in five years. And what does five years from now look yeah. like? <laughs> and I look at that now and I realize like how counterproductive that was. Like I think later in my journey, I, I approached those feelings and I really started to, you know, really start to unpack that. And I think that was more healthy, but at that point, you know, I didn't really know how to deal with any, uh, I didn't know really how to deal with any kind of traumatic information or, or something like that. And it was just more so like, I went back to like my training years of like, okay, when I got injured, when I was running, when I was younger, I did physical therapy and I trained a different way and I tried to come out of the injury stronger. And I kind of took that same approach with this. I'm like, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna make myself better during this period of time that's supposed to be negative. I'm gonna find ways to be positive and come out of this like stronger than I have or stronger than I was. Yeah. I was going to say, I had a very similar reaction. I wasn't diagnosed as young. I was diagnosed at 37, but that's still relatively, you know, young compared young, to yeah, exactly. the average. Right. Um, and I had the same, very much the same reaction. Like I spent the first you know year or so, like I'm going to do this for other people who bodybuild and make a change and do this advocacy. And then that all went to crap. But the reason why, the reason why I bring that up is that, for me, I think that was also partly driven by my urologist, because the one thing that he said when I went to him was, you're so young, I don't see this in young fit women, right? And like, 
And then afterwards it was, well, we got it all out. We got your left kidney out. It's gone. You're fine. You're going to live a very long life. Like there was very much this, you know, attitude of, well, you're young, you're going to be okay. Um, And then, you know, and then on top of that, going back to what you were saying with the death sentence, there was this article I was reading about, you know, cancer in the media. And one, you know, one person who was interviewed was saying that it's still portrayed as a death sentence. It's still portrayed as this fatal thing, which in many cases it can be. It's not, you know, cancer is not the flu, right? Um, Exactly. but, But at the same time, it still puts especially younger survivors in this headspace of, well, I have it, so therefore I'm going to die. And it kind of just, I think it messes with you a bit more with that. I don't know. I don't know if you kind of have the same feeling or same thoughts or something. Or no, I mean, I, it's, I mean, I think you, the way you mentioned in your experience is almost identical. I think, I, you know, I think what's interesting is I, 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 my year, I just kind of said the exact same thing, you know, in that sense that, you know, we found it early. You're going to be, you know, we're, we're going to get out. You're, we're going to take your kidney out. You know, you can survive in one kidney. You're going to be fine. Uh, but then also like, I think that was sort of like the first time I ever really started thinking about death. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, at that point, I was just death was just so far away, and the possibility of me dying was just so far away. And here, it's just like really started to think, and and I, I mean, almost identical to exactly what he says. I almost started to think about like, well, you know, what is my legacy in the world? You know, like you know, I have this job; it's it's okay. I, I'm making a living, but I'm not doing anything I'm passionate about. Like, what positive things am I doing into the world? And it's like, okay, if I'm going to do that, I need to get this additional education and jump into a new part of my career and do these amazing things and give back. And, uh, and um, yeah, so, I mean, it's almost identical to that. You know, it's almost really identical to that situation where, why they still think those things were really positive for me to do. And I'm really glad I did them all. Uh, I think also think there's a, there was a piece of it of like the emotional like dealing with it and unpacking mm-hmm. those feelings where I really did suppress for years. And it wasn't until, you know, I became more emotionally intelligent that I realized like, I, I, I need to do something about this. Like this, yeah. I'm, I'm carrying this trauma and I'm just, you know, suppressing it down. And it's, and even though like what I, this, the decisions I made came out of it being positive there's still this like trauma inside of me that's eating me up and I need to like unpack that if I'm going to be a better person, if I'm going to be happy, if I'm, if I'm actually going to truly be happy with the decisions I made, I need to unpack all of this trauma, uh, which you know, I didn't do until well until my mid thirties. Yeah. A hundred percent. And I think, you know, that's probably an experience for a lot of cancer survivors, no matter their age. Yeah. But I do think just speaking to other younger cancer survivors that it's, it tends to be more pronounced for us because there's this yeah. idea that we have 20, 30, 40 years ahead of us will be fine. And in my case, you know, same thing spent the first year or so just like really going after it, going after advocacy got to this point where I'm like, no, maybe I need to focus on me more. Like the trauma is coming out in certain ways. And then I get hit with a second primary, totally different cancer this year. And I was like, you know what, this time around, I'm going to take those eight weeks to like adjust to what I need to adjust to. And also actually deal with the emotion of it and like really connect with myself. Right. I was personally always afraid of death, but then once I had cancer, it became a whole different philosophical beast that just hasn't left my mind yeah 
And did over here? Did you, did you just say that you you, had a, you you dealt with a second bout of it as well? No, not a second bout of yeah. kidney cancer. Um, a second primary. So I had thyroid cancer over the summer, and so I had oh. kidney cancer um, back in twenty twenty, and then um, this yeah this summer I was diagnosed with thyroid cancer. So it was a completely different oh. cancer, and I think that's. Um, and I know from your story, just because you're, you know, you're KCA ambassador, we, I, we've been on a panel once together and I've seen you a couple of things that I know you had a second bout of it. So if you want to get into that too, a bit. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. Uh, and so uh, as part of my uh, recovery process uh, from, from the first bout, um, I would do these sort of, you know, regular check-ins and initially it was the first year. It's like, you know, they check one year later and then it's like two years. And I got to a point in my recovery where uh, my urologist only wanted me to come every three years. And so, um, you know, I was doing that. I I did a couple of those and, you know, everything was fine. And at this point, you know, my urologist even told me that you're a very low, you know, you're very low for having it, you know, come back now, you know, you've passed a lot of the major milestones. And one of my, uh, one of my checkups really was coming in in October of 2020. And so this was like right in the heart of COVID. I was, you know, at this point, I kind of believed that, you know, cancer was behind me now. And uh, I was, I wasn't sure I wanted to go back just because, you know, hospitals were, you know, we were just in the middle of COVID. It was just, you know, it was just a weird time. And I was like, I don't know if I want to go. My wife's really pushing me to go. Uh, she's like, no, you need to go. You need to go. And so I went and, uh, you know, took my, you know, my normal test and I went through like, you know, and I was like nothing. And then uh, my urologist calls me up again. And he's like, oh, we saw a shadow. We don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. We need to, you know, we need to, uh, you know, we need you to come in and do another test. And it's like, uh oh, you know, it's just like you yeah. get that feeling like, uh oh, like, okay, so he's like, Can you come in tomorrow? And I was like, Yes, I can come in tomorrow. So I come in the next day, do like a CT scan with like high, uh, high contrast CT scan, so mm-hmm. a more intense test. Uh, and, and I remember this, and it's like, Okay, you know, you'll get results back. Like, I think I took the test on Thursday, and uh, and he was just like, Okay, you know, we'll, you'll get the results back on Monday. So I'm like, thinking okay I have like the weekend to go through this and then uh Friday night I get a call from a strange number and I'm like huh this number it's like a 206 number so it's from Seattle so I'm like this is interesting it's Friday night and I, it's COVID so you know we're at home no one's yeah. like going out <laughs> and I so I answer and he's like and it's my urologist he's like hey you know we we, we saw it it's you know you, you you grew like it's a two centimeter you know a tumor is growing back in your remaining kidney and it's just like, it all of a sudden just sort of hits me. And it's like, oh, mm-hmm. uh-oh, like here it is. Uh, luckily this time around, uh, because of the condition I was in, he referred me to a as a special urologist that does these like uh, partial nephrectomies where he invented a uh, he invented a, a surgery technique that actually used like the Da Vinci method. So oh, yeah. these big robot arms. And his name is Dr. Porter. He's here in Seattle. And very hard to see him uh but because of my you know my condition and my age uh he was just like you know we want you to you know i want you to say like, i'm gonna send a referral i need you to call on monday morning and you know try to get into surgery and it was just like you know at that point i think that's really when i you know just sort of like you know here it is again and you know given my first experience it was like such a long recovery process it was open surgery uh all i heard this time around is you have cancer again you need to go to treatment and 
I just sort of broke down, you know, it was just like yeah. my, uh, you know, at that point it was just, my wife was there and it was just like, luckily, you know, with having that support, you know, we just sort of like felt it. And this time around, like given that I was so much more, in, you know, in tune with my emotions and I did work with therapists sort of before that, I was just like, I can't, you know, I'm just going to let myself feel it this time. You know, yeah. I'm just going to say, here it is. You know, I, I have cancer. There's like nothing I can do about it now. And um, so really spent like Friday night just saying, okay, this is it. I didn't, I didn't call any of my family yet and let them know about it. You know, I just wanted to, I knew they were going to worry. I knew they were going to get scared. And I just wanted to take that night to just let it all sink in. And I think handling it that way was a lot more, you know, healthy. I woke up Saturday morning, like still felt bad, but realized that I could get through it this time. And I have yeah. like support. Uh, I have like support, you know, things were, you know, things were strong and uh, you know, I felt better about it and knowing that like I have, you know, I have good care. So, you know, called Monday morning, got in the queue with this doctor and then by Wednesday or Thursday of that week, they're like, okay, we have, we want to move up your, your, we want to move up your, your surgery and we want you to come in on Monday. So it's really like, so I had really Friday to go into short-term disability, you know, luckily Washington state has some really amazing care from the state uh, that supports, you know, people going into sickness. uh, Sort of the short-term disability thing that, uh, yeah, it kind of, it's just, it's beautiful. Like like they guarantee your job, uh, you know, the state pays your salary for you while you, while you, while you're recovering. So really spent all the Friday getting all my, my things in order letting my team know uh, and, uh, you know, went into surgery and I mean, Dr. Porter was amazing. The surgery went well, they cut out just the tiniest liver. I think the, the one thing that's still sort of, you know, scary is that he told me by this point, because you've had it twice and you're so young, you're probably going to have it again. So I got into a wholly different, you know, medical care. I have a nephrologist now, as well as urologist that I see every six, well, I see my nephrologist about every six months and we're looking at kidney health. And, you know, blood pressure, diet, you know, all of that. And then I have my urologist that I see once a year now that's going through like CT scans and and, uh, MRIs Um, and, you know, that piece. But the second time around, because it was uh, laparoscopic surgery with the lasers, uh, my recovery was just so much different. (laughs) It was, uh, you know, know, there was these tiny incisions that they went through, but I was, you know, back home and walking within the week. and I was back home and walking within the week, you know, I was still slow and I couldn't like swing a golf club or do, you know, lift stuff, but I could, I could actually walk and like, you know, get some exercise in and, you know, clear my mental head. But I think the time this time that made it so, so unique is at the same time that I was coming home from the doctor, my wife and I found out we were pregnant <laughs> and that was something that, you know, we were doing, uh, we were, you know, we began trying before all of my tests and then, uh, when I got home, she's like, you know, I, this would be the time we would know if we were pregnant. And so when she went to pick up my medication, she also picked up a pregnancy test. And when I was home, like my first full day of being home, it's like, oh, and by the way, we're, we're going to have a baby. And it's just like, and so this, this recovery, it's, it just so, it was just so much different. You know, it was less about myself and what, you know, what I, you know, what I need to do, how do I come out of this stronger and more about what relationship or what do I need to do so that I have a relationship with my child <laughs> so that yeah. I'm healthy for my child. Like it's, this is like this whole other being that exists that you're trying to, uh, 
make these right decisions for it's no longer you know i need to go back to school i need to do this for my job it's like no i need to eat healthy because i want to be i need to take care of myself because i want to be around to see my child graduate from high school graduate from college get married you know start her own family uh and so uh yeah this is this, this whole second time around was just like it was it was less about me and more about like every decision i'm making i'm making for my daughter which at the time was my child but now i know <laughs> she's yeah, two yeah. now and now i know she's my daughter and it's like now every decision i make i'm making it for her because i want her to have a relationship with me and i don't want to be in and out of dialysis all the time i don't want to continue getting sick i don't you know i, I want to i want to live a healthier life for her i know you just started touching it but i'd love for you to go to go into that more about how I guess being young, having cancer just really does change your relationship to the people around you and the family around you. Because I, I too, I have a son. Uh, he was five at the time. And, you know, when wow. I found out that I had cancer, just everything, I went from, okay, I have to work 60 hours a week because I need to make money so I could give you a good life to, I need to stop working 60 hours a week because I need to be present to be in your life. And so I would love to, for you to just kind of I know the second time around you your you were your wife was pregnant. Sorry, I don't know why that was hard. Um your wife yeah. was pregnant, but kind of just talk me through what was in your head. Yeah, it was just uh I mean it was it was a lot. Uh you know, it's uh it, you know, it's a lot, but it's it sort of touched on it a bit. It was it was so much more about like what can I what can I do to be the best version of myself? Uh, like I mentioned, I, I was just like you. I, I was a very, you know, at, at this point in my career, I was a very ambitious, career-driven mm -hmm. person. I worked a lot. I put my my work at the forefront of everything I did, and uh, and you know, and even though I, I kept great relationships with my family and my partner, it was just like work was the most important thing. And you know that you know when you have a child, as you know, that yeah. that changes dramatically. It's just like wow, no, it's like work is always there. Uh, you know, you can always work there. I mean, there's, and there's just like, you know, when you, when you're ambitious, it's just like this never ending stream of work, you know, the more work yeah. you do, the more work there is. And it's sort of like this, like this never ending cycle. And I just realized that like, when, when you face death, when you face sickness, when you, when tomorrow is not guaranteed, when next year is not guaranteed, when five years is not guaranteed, you realize like you think, instead of thinking in terms of like, how much money can I make? How much security? It's like, you start thinking in moments, mm -hmm. you know, what moments do I have with my daughter? And there's a, these, there's just the tiniest things, you know, like re being able to read her bedtime stories at night and her curl, curl, cuddle mm -hmm. up in my arm and like, you know, read or being able to cook her breakfast and seeing her like different foods, being able to take her to the playground and seeing her smile. Like those are the things that are most important because those are the things when, when when bad things happen when you're faced with when you're facing death i'm not you know and, and in the past when i was you know when i was facing sickness and uncertainty i'm not thinking about what my job is thinking i'm not thinking yeah. about oh what could my you know how much more work could i've done or you know how much harder could i've done on that project you're thinking about like am I going to see my mom again? Am I mm -hmm. going to see my wife again? Am I going to be able to celebrate our fifth you know, wedding anniversary in, in a few years with my wife? Uh, and then now it's like, am I going to be able to see my daughter turn three? Am I going to see her run? Am I going to see her play? 
you just realize that like work is not the most important thing that when you're lying in your deathbed it's like the relationships you have the people you speak to the 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 deeper things the reasons why you're working or like those are the reasons that are most important and work is just like a proxy or just something you use to create security but really in reality it's 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 kind of further it's like that you know mass those hierarchy of needs like yep. you know work and that security it kind of fits somewhere like in the middle but at the end it's all about like the tribe you create and and the people you're around and the relationships you have and like when you when you're lying there in in these in these situations like that's that's the most important thing and so i you know, I think about it from that way. I mean, I think that was like the biggest realization for me. It's like, I don't want to work 60 hours a week. I want to read my daughter bedtime stories. I want to watch TV with her. I want to cook her dinner. I want to take her to school. Uh, and that's more important than work could ever be. Yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah, this um, this recent bout with uh, diarrhea cancer, mm-hmm. after I went back to work, you know, my son is in an after school program. And there was one day I, I picked him up and I'm like, well, you know, it was like four or something. Um, and I was like, you know, uh-huh. I'm, not, I'm not, I'm done with work. And he's like, really? Why? You usually work when I get home. I'm like, you know what? It's different this time. It's like, I started work. I got my eight hours in. I don't, you know, that email I, I would have answered that could wait. Like I'd rather, I'd rather just bond with you. I just, again, like you said, it take, you start thinking in those, in those moments, but I do, I do want to pivot because it's, it's kind of related but talking more about your experience with how people saw you, right? Like we talked about our urologist telling us that we were so young. Um, what are some other ways that because of your age, people, you know, maybe you experienced in the world in terms of how people regarded you or treated you for, you know, being a cancer survivor, if that makes sense. I could also rephrase. I'm not good yeah. at articulation. Yeah, no, no. I, I definitely think it makes sense. Um, I feel like for, you know, like, sort of interesting you know I, I think in one case like I didn't get to see a lot of it because of my surgery and the second, especially the second time around my surgery and my recovery all happened during COVID so it was it was like in deep COVID time so yeah. it was very much isolation already you know, yeah. I was already on my own and we you know we were all working from home all the time no one you know everything so um, so in that case you know I can only really kind of judge it based off of how people talk to me but I definitely felt like you know, I, I think I was lucky enough where like I where I worked at the time, I had a really great relationship with a lot of people and I got lots of messages and lots of cards. Uh so I definitely felt the the sympathy and the empathy from my from my I guess my direct coworkers mm-hmm. and like my, my family and my wife's family, who was amazing during all of this as well, uh could feel like they they sort of understood, but it was also like in a lot of cases, like, again, like I think with cancer, yeah, you, cancer equals death in a lot of people's minds. That's the perception of, of cancer. So I think in a lot of times, I think a lot of people, I felt the, uh, it's like people didn't know how to come, you know, people didn't yeah. really know, like they sort of tiptoed around it. Like they didn't really understand like my mindset. They obviously wanted to show me some empathy. They obviously wanted to show me some sympathy, but they didn't really know how to approach me with it because yeah. like, everybody's situation is so different and everyone's sort of the point of reference for cancer for so many people are so different depending mm-hmm. on who they know that had cancer and what their experience was like. So I think there was a lot of like, I definitely felt a lot of the uncertainty and sort of the tiptoeing around the questions or tiptoeing around like how I felt, but 
I did also feel a lot of the support as well. And I think that was like one of like the, the positive moments of it is even though I, I didn't feel any negative or any sort of anything that, that made me feel you know awkward. It was more so like the, I felt a lot of uncertainty. Like people mm-hmm. didn't know how to, you know, uh, people didn't really know how to talk to me about it and, and sort of look to me to, to, to frame the conversation. Mm, uh, okay. and, and, you know, I'm a very optimistic person. So when I would, you know, frame the conversation, you know, I, I brought up the good and, and the positives that came out of everything, as well as like, I think with some with some deep friends and family, and especially my wife, like, I was able to go in deeper and just talk about like, just how scary the whole situation was. And were you able to, you know, lean on support groups? Were you, as a young survivor, did you ever feel kind of off with the support groups? I know that that's something I've talked about with other young survivors where it's, there's, there's a certain distance that you end up feeling being a part of certain support groups. Um, If you did turn to them, did you ever feel that that was the case or was it a different type of experience? I didn't turn to them as much. Uh, uh, again, I think because of this, the time there was, you yeah. know, everything was done digitally, but I, you know, the second time around I, I turned and that's when I, when I really, when I turned to like the KCA and yeah. uh, cause for me, I started thinking coming out of it all where my mindset was, was uh, at least I guess like the, the big aha I had from the second time around besides like the health and, and the, and the thinking in moments and thinking outside of work was uh, the inequity in, in care. Like I, yeah. I, I almost felt guilty that I had such great care. And I was, I was almost mad that like, not everybody has this level of care and was like, okay, what can I do now to help provide this sort of care for people? And, and when I would go talk to Dr. Porter, I would, like, he's the person who introduced me to the KCA. I'm like, what can I do to, what can I do? Like, this was such an amazing experience, like for all things considering, like, I'm really happy how things turned out and I'm more so want to make sure other people have this sort of care. Mm-hmm. And like, uh, and so that, that's, that's where like, I think my relationship with the KCA started where the first time it was more suppressing and trying to forget I had it and thinking about myself going forward. The second time was much, so much more around like, how can I create the support groups that I want to see in the world? And how can yeah. I create the support so that I can, you know, so that more people can have this, can be more people can experience what I experienced because it was, this was really like, American medicine, American treatment, American healthcare at its best. And how yeah. can I, how can more people experience this? Uh, because like, I just thought it was unfair. And I think I kind of really went to like that mindset of like, what, what can I do more of? Yeah, what can I do more of to, to provide to, so that the, the, the inequity or the equity within healthcare is, is closed? No, I think that's fantastic. A fantastic mission. That's something I um I've started thinking about recently a little bit more of. Not that I never thought about it before. It's always something on my mind. But I think more recently, learning about people's surveillance strategies and how they're so inequitable or like they're just so different from each other. And you know, some are going to doctors where they don't think the standard of care is active surveillance or like one one CT scan and you're done. Don't come back to me for five years. And it's just like, but that's not the care you should be getting. You should be getting. So I totally get what you're, you're saying with that in terms of having a mission. 
Yeah, exactly. And this, yeah, it's like, you know, like the second time around, I, I, I all have this great relationship with a nephrologist here in Seattle. And it's like, and what I love about that is it's so much more preventative care, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, cause, cause my, you know, my, my care kind of this time around is almost two rows. There's like the cancer stuff where it's, I, I get MRIs, I go see my urologist, but there's not a lot I can do, but there's also, because I only have like 0.9 of a kidney because of the, the partial nephrectomy, it's like, what could I be doing to keep make sure my kidneys in good shape? You yeah, know, staying hydrated. Types of food I'm eating, the types of exercise I'm having. What biometrics do I need to be paying attention to? Like now, I have a a um, blood pressure monitor. Like I monitor like you know three four times a week where I'm checking like what I eat, how it affects things, and it's like it's a lot more preventative care. And I was like, why doesn't everybody have a nephrologist? Like everybody, like, why, yeah, why right? was a nephrologist suggested to me the first time around? Like, why, why isn't, like, why doesn't this, like, this is like, there's like, I don't want to just go see a doctor because I'm sick. I also want to make sure all of the biometrics and all of, you know, I'm, I'm living, making good choices so that I'm living a positive lifestyle so that later in life, I'm not having these sort of sicknesses. And like, why doesn't more people have this? Like, why isn't this like, why didn't my doctor in Houston tell me to do this versus yes. like, I had to wait, you know, t- almost 10 years or so post to then like have another bout to then say, okay, now I need to be thinking about this. And that's kind of what like started to click in my mind. And then like working with the KCA, like you were saying, and like hearing other people's experience with their doctors and their care, it's like, why, why aren't more people doing these kinds of things? Like this is, this is like every urologist, every doctor should be screaming this from the rooftops. Like this is the kind of like, these are the things that are so important besides you know stuff like you know getting you know regular checkups and all of that no a hundred percent and i i'm glad that you brought up kidney health right because that's something i think in my experience talking to people they they don't realize it's something that's part of of the treatment right like it's not just making sure you don't get it like you have to maintain your kidney health afterwards like that's a really big impact of kidney cancer. But that makes me think about like our relationship with age, right? You kind of touched on it throughout the conversation. But you know, thinking preventative care, making sure your kidneys intact, your health's there, you're not on dialysis. How has your relationship with age and aging changed? Oh, great question. Um, I've never really thought about that, actually. Uh, uh, But it's, I mean, it's, sort of I sort of touched on it I think now it's it's very much the types of things and the types of foods I put into my body Mm -hmm. it's it's I think you know you know I I, I've realized that you know I I grew up in Texas I'm a very emotional eater I love to eat I love to eat southern food (laughs) but realizing that you know everything you put into your body has an effect and every everything you put in your body has you know and you know sometimes you're eating for emotional and i and i realized like how much emotional eating i was doing you know i'm cold and dark and it's depressing here in seattle so i'm gonna eat fried chicken to like boost up my spirits and it's realizing that um that you can't always emotionally eat yeah (laughs) Uh, you can't always you can't always like these in these these decisions you make and what you decide to put into your body and these these the 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 accumulation of all of these micro decisions have big impacts at the end and when you're really monitoring that you really can start to look back and say okay maybe I shouldn't be eating this stuff maybe I should learn to eat a different way and it's really changed my relationship and really the way I, I I eat and cook and uh 
my my entire relationship with food in, in general. Like I garden now so I can grow my own tomatoes and make food with it. I, I cook a lot more at home. I don't use salt in my food. I try not to eat out that often. Like there's just a lot of like these like little tiny micro decisions where before it's like, oh, I eat a slice of pizza. Who cares? Right. It's like, no, like eat a slice of pizza then, but I also ate one, you know, and then you, you can yeah. understand like how, how all those decisions sort of connect into into a greater you know thing which is like your health (laughs) and uh and and why that's important yeah it's sort of it sounds like it's sort of that a 180 from that 28 year old reckless kid who who just found out he had kidney cancer exactly it's like i'm just like super extra like oh how much salt is in that (laughs) or like can you not put salt in that food or like if you you know it's just like yeah like oh what's the sodium like i'm reading packaging i'm at the i'm at the grocery store like turning over and like oh what's the like yep. calorie to sodium ratio on this like oh that's not good turn that around yeah uh, it's it's very yeah it's almost completely different <laughs> and that's like that's like a perfect example it is the 180 degrees like yeah. oh like i already had one beer today i probably should have a second <laughs> yeah. but i guess what would be your advice to other young cancer survivors right um going through this in terms of how they feel about going through cancer, the relationship they they have with themselves and and putting it through the lens of age, what would be some of your takeaways to share with them? You know, I think one of the most important things and the thing I'm most happy I did uh, and will continue doing is um, no matter how great you feel, no matter how much time has passed between your diagnosis to the current the current time, uh, just always stay up on your testing, uh, your your medical checks. Like, I you know I there was times when I was you know coming to a point where I'm like, you know, I'm I'm you know I I'm six eight years clear. You know, I don't need to go to my you know I don't need to go to get my checkups. I don't need to go do these things. Uh, you know, I'm pretty clear now. I can I can stay. I can become a little bit more relaxed on it and realizing that like. That's, I think, why I had such a great experience the second time is they they, they caught it very early. Yeah. Uh, they were able to do a partial nephrectomy. I didn't. I, I was able to like there were there were just a lot of positives that happened because they caught it so 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 soon. And some of like the bad scenarios that happen happen when stuff gets so big and spreads and, and develops and like so like a I think just staying up to date even if you feel fine even if you're eating well even if you're everything okay just like always keep up with your testing and and you know build a great relationship with your doctors because like at the end those are going to be the most important things you have for you know a positive recovery. Um, I think number two, realizing that you're not in this alone. There's lots of people who experience this at a very young age. And, uh, you know, there's lots of great organizations like the KCA uh, that, you know, that, you know, have resources. You know, I, I'm on the KCA. Oh, actually, I'm on the, the Northwest Kidney Center. Uh, I'm, I'm on their recipes guide almost like on a weekly basis, experimenting with, with different foods and, and that. And I think number three, you know, it's, if you are, you know, just, if you're afraid to ask for help, you're never going to get help in that yeah. realizing that no matter what, no matter what, when I, and this kind of good thing goes back to the community aspect of, of point two is that, you know, we're, we're all sort of navigating this together <laughs> and uh, there's lots of great resources out there. So don't, don't be afraid to Google. Don't be afraid to ask for, or you know, reach out to organizations and, uh, 
you know, it's, it's okay. We'll get through this. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a positive joy. Uh, you know, it, it could lead to a positive thing and, you know, only you can decide how you respond to things. And, um, yeah. And, you know, it's, a it's, a it's, it's, it's okay. You know, people were here to support you and there's lots of great resources. I'm so grateful that you brought that up about not being alone, because I think it can be when you're a young survivor, it can be very isolating being in a waiting room when you're like the only one or two 20 something, 30 something that's there for cancer treatment, right? Or a cancer surveillance. Um, and it could just end up feeling really isolating. And if you don't know where to turn, you just kind of internalize it. So I, I'm so grateful that you, you're reinforcing that point of like, find people because you're not, you know, you aren't alone. Yeah, yeah. I actually just got my my MRI, uh, my annual MRI yesterday, and uh, luckily I'm all I'm, I'm cancer free for another year, so that's great. Yay. But funny you mentioned it. I was in the MRI room waiting to you know uh, waiting to get my my test done, and I might have been the youngest person in the room by like thirty years. Yep. <laughs> and it's a you, you and it can feel isolating, but you know like like you like myself like there are lots of young people who experience this and you know, unless we raise our hand, we'll never find those people and never be able to share those like shared experiences because there are things you and I experience that no one else has. And we can yeah. bond over that almost instantaneously. Absolutely. Thank you, Jason, for joining me for this conversation today. It was really wonderful to hear more about your story and your experiences. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Of course. <laughs> We hope you enjoyed this episode of Kinney Cancer Unfiltered, brought to you by the Kinney Cancer Association. Please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts to get episodes weekly. And if you like the show, we'd love it if you left a review. It really helps others find us. Thanks again for listening. For more information about kidney cancer, visit the Kinney Cancer Association online at kinneycancer.org.